You're listening to the Heal Better Fast podcast, dedicated to bridging the gap between alternative healthcare and mainstream medicine in utilizing everything good to help you feel great. We're glad you tuned in. Now here's your host, Dr. Michael Pound. Dr. Jennifer Jacobs is the author of the new book, Do You Really Need That Pill? How to Avoid Side Effects, Interactions, and Other Dangers of Overmedication. As a family physician, she was concerned over the number of medications that people were taking, especially the ones that were not really needed. 40% of people over 65 regularly take five or more prescription drugs, and 12% take 10 or more daily drugs. In 2017, deaths due to adverse side effects of drugs exceeded 164,000 people, which is 450 per day, triple the number of over a decade ago. Now today, Dr. Jacobson and I talk about the dangers of taking too many drugs, why we're having this epidemic of over-medication, which drugs you really need, and which ones that are doing more harm than good, and how do you broach that subject with your medical doctor. And then, of course, we talk about some alternatives to taking conventional medication. Help me welcome my guest, Dr. Jennifer Jacobs. All right. Welcome to the show, Dr. Jacobs. Happy to have you on the show today. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Give us a little history on your your professional history and how you got to where you're at today. Yes. Well, um, I went to medical school in uh, Detroit, Wayne State University. And after that, I did residency training in Florida. But I became really disillusioned with modern medicine because of all the side effects that I saw people having from drugs I was giving them. Sometimes the side effects were worse than the problem I was treating. So I started seeking out more alternative, holistic types of uh, practice. And uh, most of my time as a family practitioner, I rarely prescribe drugs and I mostly prescribe natural remedies that would help people's own bodies heal themselves. You've, you're retired now and you've been practice. you probably practiced for a while, but I'm, I'm assuming you've seen some major changes over your career in, in the healthcare arena. Is that correct? Oh, yes. It's amazing. Uh, when I started out in medicine, it was more or less a service profession. People became doctors because they wanted to help people. At least that's why I did. But more and more, it's become a business. It's become a profit center, and it's really unfortunate. Doctors are kind of in the middle. Uh, they're pressured to see more and more patients in less and less time, and it's really difficult for them to do their best and spend the time they need to really get to the bottom of people's problems. You know, it's interesting because I've had so many medical doctors on the show now, and they all say the same thing. And that's part of the reason you had to be completely dedicated to, to making that practice work. Yes, um, I'm really glad that I, well, I'm not glad that I'm not practicing anymore because I miss my patients and the interactions with them. But it just became more and more difficult to deal with insurance companies. And my husband and I, he's also a family practitioner. We had kind of what we like to call a ma and pa practice. It was just the two of us in a family practice. And we were on call 24-7. Uh, for our patients. And, you know, that becomes exhausting after a while. But we didn't want to join a large practice because we didn't want the pressures to see so many people and to, uh, you know, perform up to the standards that the insurance companies wanted. 
Yeah, and although I've had a lot of medical doctors on here, you're the one of the first ones to, to have an MPH and actually have experience at the NIH uh, Office of Alternative Healthcare. So you probably have a great bird's eye view uh, of what's going on and and the problem that we're facing in healthcare. Yes, I think so. Uh, my master's degree in epidemiology helps me to analyze research data that I see coming out in medical journals. And the book I just wrote, Do You Really Need That Pill?, uh, is about over-medication because I feel like doctors are giving out pills these days like candy in situations where oftentimes lifestyle changes, losing a little bit of weight, getting a little bit more exercise, things like that can accomplish just as much, if not more, than taking a drug. And it's become almost second nature at this point. I have so many patients that come in and I ask them what they're taking, and they'll say, I'm not taking anything. And then we'll start getting into their health history, and I'll, I'll end with a laundry list of things that they've taken or they're taking or, they're, or they should be taking and they're not taking. So why do you think it is that, what do you think is causing this epidemic of over-medication? The major reason, of course, is the pharmaceutical industry who spends $14 million each day, each day, $14 million advertising directly to consumers, mostly on TV. The United States and New Zealand are the only countries in the world that allow direct-to-consumer advertising. So the drug companies are pushing drugs, and people see the drugs on TV, and it says, ask your doctor. So they ask their doctor, and oftentimes doctors know that the patient really doesn't need the drug, but it's easier and more, you know, time effective to just go ahead and write a prescription rather than explain to someone what they could do instead of taking the drug or why they don't need the drug. I remember uh, a colleague of mine once was prescribing antibiotics for people with the flu. Well, one of the things I'm sure you know and I know is that antibiotics don't help with a viral infection. And yet he said, well, if I don't prescribe it, they'll just go somewhere else and someone else will prescribe them. I hear that a lot. And, and I'm interested to hear actually what you have. I mean, I'm sure you've got some statistics on this, but is there a correlation with the amount of money uh, the, the country spends with, compared to the amount of medication the people in the country take? The drug companies earn almost $400 billion a year, and that's expected to go up to $600 billion by 2020. And yet, if you look at statistics about the uh, health of the United States, the mortality rate, the infant mortality rate, longevity, all of that, we're ranked, you know, well below number 10 for all of the, you know, major developed countries. So, In spite of all the money that's being spent on drugs, it doesn't seem to be making us healthier. In fact, I think it's making people sicker. One thing that can happen is what we call a prescribing cascade, where a side effect of a drug is thought to be a new illness. And so a new drug is prescribed for that. And then maybe another side effect will come from that, which a third drug will be prescribed. This happened to my uncle. Uh, he was 92 years old at the time, and he seemed to be in really good health as far as I could tell. He walked every day, 
we spoke on the phone. He joked around with me. But he went to his internist, and the internist asked him to subtract sevens from a hundred. Well, apparently he didn't do too well, and so the internist decided he had early Alzheimer's disease and prescribed a new drug that was supposed to slow down the progression of Alzheimer's. Well, shortly after that, he started having urinary incontinence, which he had never had before, and the internist prescribed another drug for that. And after that, my uncle started becoming confused and even belligerent, at which point the internist prescribed an antipsychotic drug. By this time, my cousin, his daughter, was, was really upset and called me and told me this story, and I checked into the side effects. And sure enough, the side effect of Aricept, which was the um, anti-dementia um, drug he was given, can be urinary incontinence. And the side effect of this uh, Detrol, uh, for the urinary incontinence is mental confusion. So it, it just turned into a big mess. And so I told my cousin to have him stop taking everything. And within two weeks, he was back to normal, walking around the neighborhood. And it was really an interesting experience for me. And it made me concerned also that people who don't have a medical person in their family, like I was, might have a situation like this that they're not aware of. So within two weeks, you actually saw a reversal of all those symptoms. That's amazing. I mean, that's healing better faster, right? Just with the absence of what's going on. Yes, yes. As a matter of fact, when he started taking the antipsychotic, he started having Parkinson's-like symptoms. And, uh, you know, they wanted to put him on a fourth drug for Parkinson's disease. So... It's really sad what's happening. So how do you bring that subject up to their uh, doctor, their practitioner? It's difficult for people I know to confront their physician. I know for even for myself, uh, when I go in to see my doctor, you're in kind of a submissive situation and this, there's an authoritative person. But what I recommend, first of all, is that people keep a list of every drug they're taking and then check into them on the internet or on the little inserts of the drugs that tell the side effects to see if indeed they are having any side effects. Also look into the possible drug interactions. There's a website on the uh, website drugs.com that has an interactive feature where a person can enter all of the medications they're taking and then it will tell you which drugs might have a possible interaction with each other. So once someone is armed with this information, and also if they read my book, they can find out perhaps some of the alternatives to taking specific drugs, things they can do in terms of lifestyle changes, go to your doctor and tell them, that you would like to try to cut down on the drugs that you're taking. And many doctors are open to this. You know, patients often have the misconception that when they go to the doctor, then they get a prescription. And so doctors are sensitive to this and feel like people expect a prescription. And if they find someone who doesn't, they may be willing to work with you and help you to, as they say now in medicine, de-prescribe. 
The other thing I recommend is that if someone is interested in doing this, that they bring it up at the beginning of their office visit, not wait till the end when the doctor is rushed and needs to move on to the next patient. Now, in your research, what would you say is one of the most common misprescribed or overused medication out there? I guess I would have to say statin drugs. I'm glad you said because... that because I have so many patients that are on the statins. <laughs> I was going to bring it up, but I just wanted to see what you're going to say. So I, it was, it's not even a question anymore. I, 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 so yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, statins actually is what got me started on writing the book. Uh, you may remember a few years ago, they changed the statin guidelines. And by changing the guidelines, more than half of everyone over age 65 would be taking statins. And this didn't make sense to me. So I started looking into it. And I found that, well, as you probably know, uh, statins really are not indicated unless people already have a history of heart attack or stroke or a really high blood pressure. And yet, it's be they're being given like candy to people who are relatively healthy. And the side effects of statins, of course, are not negligible. Uh, they cause a 50% increased risk of diabetes type 2. Uh, they've been found to cause cognitive problems. Uh, there's one story I read about a Harvard professor who was having uh, increasingly worse dementia to where he couldn't really remember what he read from one page to another uh, in a manuscript. And he decided to enter into a study uh, for a new drug. They, has, they asked him to stop taking his statin. And by the time it came around to when he was supposed to start the study, he didn't have dementia anymore. The statin, stopping the statin, cured all of his problems. So, uh, and of course, the muscle problems. One out of five people who take statin drugs have muscle injuries. They can be mild, like aches and pains, but sometimes they can be uh, so severe that uh, they can go into kidney failure. Yeah, I'm seeing that almost more uh, more common, you know, when we do health history than smoking, you know. And so when we're talking about things that that can be roadblocks into helping someone heal better fast, uh, that's that's one that is really up there on on the list that I'm seeing in practice. And and not that we're here to tell people to you know to to stop cold turkey. Although you know, like you said, some people it does help. So how does one go about navigating this if they've either been recommended a statin, if they've been on a statin? or if they want to get off a statin? That's a very good question. But I think they need to look and see whether they really would need one because the majority of people, I think, don't need them. You know, even we don't even know really if cholesterol is what causes arteriosclerosis. There was one study that uh, looked at something like 70, 70, or 500,000 uh, people who were in the hospital for their first heart attack, and 72% of them had normal cholesterol. So cholesterol is just one of many risk factors for heart disease. Uh, another study I read said that 80% of cardiovascular disease could be prevented with three factors, uh, healthy eating, exercise, and stopping smoking. But instead of counseling people to do these things, it's all turned into take this pill, lower your cholesterol. 
And it's, you know, it's just a small thing. I mean, high blood pressure, family history, weight, you know, there are several factors that go into heart disease. And yet what is mostly focused on is taking this pill. So when you served on the advisory board for the NIH Office of Alternative Medicine, what was what were a couple of the things that you were trying to, or that you saw that were actually some turning points maybe in improving the healthcare system? Well, when I was on the, this was a few years ago, and what the Office of Alternative Medicine was doing at that time, and they've changed since then, and they have a new name, but basically we're trying to do research studies to look at acupuncture, to look at diet, to look at some of the alternative treatment modalities to see which ones actually have scientific proof of efficacy. And I think that acupuncture especially has come a long way since then because they have done many double-blind placebo-controlled trials that show that acupuncture is effective, especially for things like joint pain, knee pain, hip pain, and so forth. So that's one area I think that people have become more open to. Sure. What would you say are some alternatives to taking conventional drugs that are becoming more mainstream medicine or accepted, if you will? Well, like I said, acupuncture, cognitive behavioral therapy is now recommended, for example, for depression. Studies have shown that it is actually as effective, if not more so, than antidepressants. Uh, the same thing with exercise. There's all sorts of studies showing that exercise can help with, um, with um, high blood pressure. It can help with diabetes. It can help with depression. Uh, a lot of really simple things that are... Uh, easy for people to do on their own, but people don't hear about them. You don't see ads on TV that tell you to exercise four times a week in order to reduce your blood pressure. What would you say are some uh, a habit or two that you do frequently, it could be daily or weekly, that help you extend the warranty on your life? I think the most important one is exercise. Uh, my husband and I walk uh, a mile and a half three times a week. We lift weights. Several times a week, uh, we do stretching exercises. Yoga is very good. Um, exercise is helpful in so many ways because, number one, it increases the endorphins in your brain. It makes you feel better, uh, and that helps you to resist the temptation of, of eating things that you shouldn't eat. But, you know, like everybody else, you know, I have, I, I have my little cheats, things that I do that I shouldn't. But, you know, you can't be perfect in this lifetime. Now, do you take any supplements? Mm, I take vitamin D is the okay. only one. I'm not big on supplements. I think that it's better for people to get the vitamins and minerals they need from food. Uh, the Mediterranean diet, I think, is, is really good. It, there's research evidence that it can be helpful for so many of these chronic diseases that we talk about. Again, high blood pressure, depression, diabetes, all of these have been shown in research to be helped by the Mediterranean diet. So lots of fresh fruits and vegetables, whole grains, beans, lentils, um, fish, 
uh, low di- diet, low in red meat and refined sugar. It's all pretty common sense. It's just difficult in our culture when we're bombarded with things that we shouldn't eat to stick to a good diet. Yeah, the first I remember the first time I start I started uh, looking into the Mediterranean diet was uh, I guess when I discovered Dean Ornish right and all the research he's done and um, just fascinated with the fact that you can you know reverse many many conditions with the use of food as as we know now I mean food is medicine but who's I want to know who's the who's the chef in your household who's who's cooking up all this good stuff. Well, it's me. I, I have to say it's me. But my husband washes the dishes. Okay, that, that counts. <laughs> <laughs> I have a website. It's my name, excuse me, jenniferjacobsmd.com. That's Jennifer with two N's, md.com. And uh, there's a link there to uh, Amazon where my book can be purchased either in Kindle edition or as a paperback. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time to share this information with my listeners. Do you really need that pill? Grab that book, find all about it, and it's a brand new book by Dr. Jacobs. So again, thank you for taking the time with us on the show today. Dr. Jacobs, I wish you the best. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to the Heal Better Fast podcast at www.healbetterfast.com. 